Chapter 10 of The First Men in the Moon by H.G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. Chapter 10 Lost Men in the Moon. His face caught something of my dismay. He stood up and stared about him at the scrub that fenced us in and rose about us, straining upward in a passion of growth. He put a dubious hand to his lips. He spoke with a sudden lack of assurance. I think, he said slowly, we left it somewhere about there. He pointed a hesitating finger that wavered in an arc. I'm not sure. His look of consternation deepened. Anyhow, he said, with his eyes on me, it can't be far. We had both stood up. We made unmeaning ejaculations. Our eyes sought in the twining, thickening jungle round about us. All about us on the sunlit slopes frothed and swayed the darting shrubs, the swelling cactus, the creeping lichens, and wherever the shade remained the snowdrifts lingered. North, south, east, and west spread an identical monotony of unfamiliar forms. And somewhere, buried already among this tangled confusion, was our sphere, our home, our only provision, our only hope of escape from this fantastic wilderness of ephemeral growths into which we had come. I think, after all, he said, pointing suddenly, it might be over there. No, I said, we have turned in a curve. See, here is the mark of my heels. It's clear the thing must be more to the eastward, much more. No, the sphere must be over there. I think, said Cavour, I kept the sun upon my right all the time. Every leap, it seems to me, I said, my shadow flew before me. We stared into one another's eyes. The area of the crater had become enormously vast to our imaginations, the growing thickets already impenetrably dense. Good heavens, what fools we have been! It's evident that we must find it again, said Cavour, and that soon. The sun grows stronger. We should be fainting with the heat already if it wasn't so dry. And I'm hungry. I stared at him. I had not suspected this aspect of the matter before, but it came to me at once, a positive craving. Yes, I said with emphasis, I am hungry too. He stood up with a look of active resolution. Certainly we must find the sphere. As calmly as possible we surveyed the interminable reefs and thickets that formed the floor of the crater, each of us weighing in silence the chances of our finding the sphere before we were overtaken by heat and hunger. It can't be fifty yards from here, said Cavour, with indecisive gestures. The only thing is to beat round about until we come upon it. That is all we can do, I said, without any alacrity to begin our hunt. I wish this confounded spike bush did not grow so fast. That's just it, said Cavour, but it was lying on a bank of snow. I stared about me in the vain hope of recognising some knoll or shrub that had been near the sphere. But everywhere was a confusing sameness, everywhere the aspiring bushes, the distending fungi, the dwindling snowbanks, steadily and inevitably changed. The sun scorched and stung, the faintness of an unaccountable hunger mingled with our infinite perplexity. And even as we stood there, confused and lost amidst unprecedented things, we became aware for the first time of a sound upon the moon other than the air of the growing plants, the faint sighing of the wind, or those that we ourselves had made. 
boom, boom, boom. It came from beneath our feet, a sound in the earth. We seemed to hear it with our feet as much as with our ears. Its dull resonance was muffled by distance, thick with the quality of intervening substance. No sound that I can imagine could have astonished us more or have changed more completely the quality of things about us. For this sound, rich, slow and deliberate, seemed to us as though it could be nothing but the striking of some gigantic buried clock. Boom. 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 Sound suggestive of still cloisters, of sleepless nights in crowded cities, of vigils and the awaited hour, of all that is orderly and methodical in life, booming out pregnant and mysterious in this fantastic desert. To the eye everything was unchanged. The desolation of bushes and cacti waving silently in the wind stretched unbroken to the distant cliffs. The still dark sky was empty overhead, and the hot sun hung and burned. And through it all a warning, a threat, throbbed this enigma of sound. Boom, boom, boom. We questioned one another in faint and faded voices. A clock? Like a clock? What is it? What can it be? Count, was Cavour's belated suggestion, and at that word the striking ceased. The silence, the rhythmic disappointment of the silence, came as a fresh shock. For a moment one could doubt whether one had ever heard a sound, or whether it might not still be going on. Had I indeed heard a sound? I felt the pressure of Cavour's hand upon my arm, he spoke in an undertone as though he feared to wake some sleeping thing. Let us keep together, he whispered, and look for the sphere. We must get back to the sphere. This is beyond our understanding. Which way shall we go? He hesitated. An intense persuasion of presences, of unseen things about us and near us, dominated our minds. What could they be? Where could they be? Was this arid desolation, alternately frozen and scorched, only the outer rind and mask of some subterranean world? And if so, what sort of world, what sort of inhabitants might it not presently disgorge upon us? And then, stabbing the aching stillness as vivid and sudden as an unexpected thunderclap, came a clang and rattle as though great gates of metal had suddenly been flung apart. It arrested our steps. We stood gaping helplessly. Then Cavour stole towards me. I do not understand, he whispered close to my face. He waved his hand vaguely skyward, the vague suggestion of still vaguer thoughts. A hiding place, if anything came. I looked about us. I nodded my head in assent to him. We started off moving stealthily with the most exaggerated precautions against noise. We went towards a thicket of scrub. A clangour like hammers flung about a boiler hastened our steps. We must crawl, whispered Cavour. The lower leaves of the bayonet plants, already overshadowed by the newer ones above, were beginning to wilt and shrivel so that we could thrust our way in among the thickened stems without serious injury. A stab in the face or arm we did not heed. At the heart of the thicket I stopped and stared, panting, into Cavour's face. Subterranean, he whispered. Below. They may come out. We must find the sphere. Yes, I said, but how? Crawl till we come to it. 
But if we don't, keep hidden. See what they are like. We will keep together, said I. He thought, which way shall we go? We must take our chance. We peered this way and that. Then, very circumspectly, we began to crawl through the lower jungle, making so far as we could judge a circuit, halting now at every waving fungus, at every sound, intent only on the sphere from which we had so foolishly emerged. Ever and again from out of the earth beneath us came concussions, beatings, strange, inexplicable mechanical sounds, and once, and then again, we thought we heard something, a faint rattle and tumult, borne to us through the air. But fearful as we were, we dared essay no vantage point to survey the crater. For long we saw nothing of the beings whose sounds were so abundant and insistent, but for the faintness of our hunger and the drying of our throats that crawling would have had the quality of a very vivid dream. It was so absolutely unreal. The only element with any touch of reality was these sounds. Picture it to yourself. About us the dreamlike jungle with the silent bayonet leaves darting overhead and the silent, vivid, sun-splashed lichens under our hands and knees, waving with the vigour of their growth as a carpet waves when the wind gets beneath it. Ever and again one of the bladder fungi bulging and distending under the sun loomed upon us. Ever and again some novel shape and vivid colour obtruded. The very cells that built up these plants were as large as my thumb, like beads of coloured glass, and all these things were saturated in the unmitigated glare of the sun, were seen against a sky that was bluish-black and spangled still, in spite of the sunlight with a few surviving stars. Strange. The very forms and texture of the stones were strange. It was all strange. The feeling of one's body was unprecedented. Every other movement ended in a surprise. The breath sucked thin in one's throat. The blood flowed through one's ears in a throbbing tide. Thud, 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 thud. And ever and again came gusts of turmoil, hammering the clanging and throb of machinery, and presently the bellowing of great beasts. End of chapter 10